Uh, before Steve reads, uh, I feel like it's really important to ask a question. Um, not that you're going to have to talk about, just to reflect on as you listen. Um, I want you to think about what do you want to be known for? Sometimes people refer to that as legacy. I'm not a huge fan of legacy uh, and because there's a lot of different things that people can associate with that. I just want you to consider this morning, what do you want to be known for? Okay? So lock that into your brains and into your hearts, and then Steve is going to read. I wrote the wrong passage in uh, the bulletin. Um, yeah. We're going to have to do this again? Just two verses? Yeah, okay. Go ahead, Steve. Okay, so since we just started the series last week, I think it's important for me to just do a brief overview. I'm going to have the map up so that way we can at least recognize where we are in terms of the setting. Um, if you see that yellow dot by Laodicea, and then Colossae is right next to it. And it's just a small kind of town, forgotten, fading away. Uh, but in the midst of that, in a, town, in a, a town and a city in decline, you have a people that are really coming into the fullness of their relationship with Christ. And these people... Um, are being impacted by some false teachers. And some of those false teachers may be Judaizers, so they're saying Jesus plus Jewish law. And then there's potentially some people that came in that were pagans that said the ways that you're going to know the mysteries of God is by doing these pagan rituals or, or fellowshipping in pagan ways. So that way you can get to the greater depth. And so Paul is really writing this letter with Timothy to encourage the Colossian church about what it means to be living into the fullness of Jesus Christ. So this is where it's located, and you can see that it's right on the road of Paul's missionary journey, so he's not actually fully responsible for it. And I'm going to talk about that. I want to unpack this passage um, because I think there's a lot of really good stuff in here, and I want to do it just as well, so I'm going to jump right in. It's on page 956, if you don't have it. Um, so last week I talked about uh, Paul's introduction and just saying hello, right? Like that's normal and a dear so-and-so, basically. Um, and then he jumps right into some really beautiful text. And I asked you a question. I said, what do you want to be known for? Right? Um, if anybody feels so bold... Would you feel comfortable saying out loud, what do you want to be known for? The way, I care for people. The way you care for people? Okay. Kindness. Kindness. Okay. Silence. <laughs> Lots of silence. Okay. When Steve was reading, um, there's something that was really striking about the Colossians. Um, what do you think they were known for? That's good that you're being quiet because then I get to explain that, right? <laughs> That's why you're here, Sean. Um, I'm going to unpack that a little bit. But before I, before I jump into what they are known for, I want to point out to you, starting in verse 3, when Paul is writing this letter to them, we, I mean, Steve read the title, right? Paul thanks God for the Colossians. 
certainly I think that's accurate. Paul is thanking God for this people. Just like when I pray, and I say this each week in the, in the newsletter, I pray for you. I, I'm thankful for you. And so I think, yes, absolutely, Paul is writing them, and he's thankful for them. But if you really start to unpack what he's saying, it says, in our prayers for you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is he thanking? It's God. Because it's God that's provoking the work that he's going to talk about that he sees in the Colossians, that he's heard about. Because it really is striking and stunning work. And, and in many ways, I can relate to Paul. When I think of House of God, I feel like there's a lot of affinity internally. When I think of the character of House of God as a community and the Colossians and what they're receiving from Paul in terms of, I'm so thankful for the work that God's doing in you. It's God. It has to be God. And so he starts to, to explain a little bit more. And he says, For we have heard of your faith, faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love, love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I'm going to read it again. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus, and of the love that you have for all the saints, because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. What does that sound like? Does that sound familiar? What? Say it again. If I had a sticker, I would give it to Nancy. Um, uh, let's, can you jump over to First uh, Corinthians with me for a second? Because Paul is, is doing kind of an echo. He's consistent. First Corinthians 13 uh, is on page 934 if you're looking at the Red Bibles. Um, and while you're looking for that, I just want to, I think sometimes as a pastor, it's really important for me, for you to know that I don't just make this stuff up in my head, okay? Right? I'm not that good. <laughs> um, I use a lot of resources, and I, I think one of the things uh, that scholarship has taught me is that it's important to give credit where credit's due. Um, so I use something called the African Bible Commentary because I want a global perspective when I read. Uh, how is it interpreted in a tribal context? Uh, for Colossians, I use a commentary by Marion May Thompson, who is a professor at Fuller Theological Seminary, so she's really strong. So I can have more of a, a perspective, not just from a, a white male. Um, but I do have a white male. His name's N.T. Wright. Um, and this is, so I have a diverse group of perspectives. And I want to give them credit where credit's due. It's really hard to point out because I feel like I will constantly be saying, N.T. Wright says this, and Solomon Andrei says this, right? But it's really important for me to acknowledge their work. Um, so jumping into 1 Corinthians 13, actually, the first person that I really noticed that from was a gentleman that wrote in here about Colossians. And he pointed out some really interesting things. I'm going to read. So I read um, the Colossians. I'll read it again. For we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 13, which is a familiar text. If you've ever been to a wedding, you're probably like, I've heard this so many times, right? It's so annoying that you keep saying this. Is there nothing else? But, but just to put this in context, Paul is writing this as an admonishment, a challenge. He's not like, like how we do it in the weddings. It's like all lovey-dovey, like, oh, my gosh, love is this. Paul is like, no, this is what love is. If it's not this, it's not love. So it's a lot, it's a lot stronger. So I'm going to read it for you. 
It says, if I speak in the tongues of mortals and of angels but do not have love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give away all my possessions and if I hand over my body so that I may over my body so that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not envious or boastful or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. It bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. But as for prophecies, they will come to an end. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will come to an end. For we know only in part, and we prophesy only in part. But when the complete comes, the partial will come to an end. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. When I became an adult, I put an end to childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then we will see face to face. Now I know only in part, then I will know fully, even as I have been fully known. And now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. And the greatest of these is love. Love. Now, I'm not going to unpack this entire text for Corinthians, but I think it's really important that do you see the emphasis that Paul's giving to the Corinthians? What is, what is he saying? Love, love, love. You can do so many fabulous things, but if you don't have love, what is it really? And so he, then he takes the time to define what does love, what, when I say love, what does love actually mean? I want to challenge you with, this is Paul, I'm challenging with you with this. And he's saying, now I get it because there's part of this that we just won't understand. Like, uh, there's the moments when you love somebody and you're like, you've done nothing but hurt me, but I will love you. And you're like, why? <laughs> or there's that type of love that you're like, you're so different than me, but when I'm around you, I just feel a little bit more whole. Have you ever had that before? Now, in this instance, Paul is saying, I, I, I get it. You're not going to understand it in completion. It's going to be a little bit confusing. However, it will remain faith, hope, and love. They will abide. They will stay. They will maintain. When everything else goes away, they will stay. Faith, hope, and love. So we can clearly see that Paul thinks love is super important. And that brings to context what he's saying to the Colossians when he's writing to them. And I'm going to jump back there for that reason, because he's saying, for we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. So what is the fruit that he's referring to? That, that, that they're harvesting, that, that was, there was an immediacy to the fruit. It was love. From day one, love. 
And it was so, it was so disorienting. And I don't want to put words in Paul's mouth, but it was so, it was so kind of en- enriching to him. Because remember, Paul didn't plant the Colossian church. He wasn't responsible for that church. Epaphras was responsible for it. So he's hearing second-hand accounts and third-hand accounts of this church. And, you know, you've played telephone before, right? (laughs) And as it goes down the line, what tends to happen? It gets a little bit more distorted, really wrong, and usually somehow it's often negative, right? But in this instance, as what's happening in the Colossian church is going down the phone, and it's... And Paul's hearing about it. He's like, my goodness, who are these people? They're amazing. This you learn from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant. He's a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf. And he has made known to us, what? Your love in the Spirit. That's how loving of a people the Colossians were. I'm going to pull back for a second because I think it's important. Because Paul is so taken aback by their love. And I, and I, I want to, I want to, I'm going to, can we go on a rabbit trail for a minute? It's something that I've just been thinking about nonstop. And it's relevant, so it's not going to be over here. But I want to talk about fruitfulness, because the fruit that he's talking about is love, okay? So I have a question. Again, we're just going to, we don't have to talk amongst yourselves. We're going to talk together. This is the first question. Uh, what do you think of when you see this picture? You can put the picture up. What do you think of when you see this picture? Wine, <laughs> food, crops, prepared hard work, getting ready for something, fruitfulness, abundance, interesting, order, order, it's like Judge Dredd or something, potential, mm. I, I, the beautiful thing about pictures, they can, uh, just like art, it evokes different things inside of us, right, so you, it's really how you interpret it. And I don't have a right or wrong answer for this. I'm just curious to know when you see a picture like this or when you walk in a field in the winter, like if you imagined walking in a field like this in the middle of winter, what would you be thinking? I know for me, this is just me, which could be different. I would be thinking desolate, dead, probably cold because it's winter time, right? Now, I have... Uh, another picture, and so I, my next question was, well, now what about this one? So you can just click right over, Tom. When you see a picture like this, what do you think of? Abundance. Abundance. What did you say? Happiness. Happiness. Mm. Growth. Hopefulness, growth. Butterflies. Butterflies. It's beautiful. Um, go back to two slides, please. If you don't have this, Now go back two more. You don't have that, right? I mean, we know that. That's facts. That's reality. And there was something really striking to me about the Colossian church because I think there's kind of this this underlying belief about faith and about our faith and about discipleship and about our relationship with God. It's I've got to reach like a certain level before I can share my faith before I can really understand the Bible, before I can pray well. Can you relate to that? Like there's these different, sorry, I don't know why, but there's kind of these invisible 
metrics, where if we don't meet those metrics, then we're not, we're not able to share our faith. We're not able to do this. We're not able to love well. And we all have them. They just look different. And what Paul is pointing out about the Colossians, and he says this, you have heard of this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel, that has come to you. Just as it is bearing fruit and growing the whole world, so it has been bearing fruit amongst yourselves from the day you heard it. Now, if fruitfulness, if this is dependent on us, we're going to strive a lot, right? At least I will. If I know that something is dependent on me, if a relationship is going to be made or broken by, by me, I'm going to put work in to make it successful. Can any of you relate to that? I mean, it seems natural. But instead, what Paul's pointing out is from day one, what seemed desolate, kind of like that field in the cold, what seems desolate is actually very fruitful from day one. And what's fruitful? Their love, like that. Now, um, I've talked in the past, and this is where my rabbit trail is, and it's something I just can't get out of my head. Um, I, I was over at Tom and Christine's this past week, and you know we always delight in these beautiful flowers from the garden. But, and I almost took a picture, but I didn't, is in her rose garden, she cut them back and pruned them, right? Um, have you ever been around a pruned plant before? I mean, probably, right? It looks bare, desolate, and dead. Pause. Now, how many of you in your life have you been journeying through in your faith and you've just been saying, God, why have you taken this away from me? Or why has this happened? Or why did this unexpected thing take place? Pruning, right? And you feel bare and desolate. And for many years, I thought pruning meant emptiness. But what if it's not emptiness? What if it's actually space to be filled? See, this is the interesting thing about what I notice in, in the gospel here in Paul's letter to the Colossians is he's saying from day one. So it's not so much about if it looks like that or this beautiful, glorious field of wheat. Whether we're in a pruning season or we're in a season of abundance is that there's something that God's working in. It's all about Jesus. It's not about us. It is 100% about Jesus. And so when we're in seasons of pruning and we're like, oh, I feel empty and I feel desolate, if it's all about Jesus, then suddenly it's like, well, now there's more space to grow for greater fruitfulness, for greater faith, hope, and love. But, but it's so easy for us to say, oh, these are the things that are missing, right? Because if you've ever walked through a beautiful garden like Christine has, you're like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. It's beautiful. And if we have to choose, we're going to choose this every time, aren't we? It's not like we're just going to trollop through the, the fields of dirt. and That's not fun and exciting. But I think that's, that's the scandalous thing about the gospel, is it's not really about this. It's about the potential. Somebody said potential. It's, it's about that love is a seed that grows, and it only has to be the size, the kingdom of God only has to be the size of a mustard seed. That's it. That's captivating. 
And so Paul and Timothy are infatuated with the Colossian church. They're like, look at your love. And it's like from day one, guys. And, and personally, like part of the joy that I get to, to be as a shepherd of house of God is I look at you all and I'm like, this is day one. Really? So you're, you're actually teaching me. I would have always thought of pruning as emptiness and loss, but what I see, what I see with house of God is potential. What I see from Paul's word is potential. It's where we're going. It's the space to be filled. Isn't that cool? So Paul is writing and he's talking about the immediacy of the, of the fruit. And I just want to encourage all of us today, no matter if you're in a pruning season or if you're in a season that looks like this or the field, whatever season that you're in, because it's all about Jesus, there is an immediacy to the fruitfulness of God. It may look different in different seasons, but you will have faith and you will have hope and you will have love. It may not look the same as it did before, but it's right for that day. And so Paul keeps on talking about that. Now, when we're feeling pruned or we're about to go through a harvest season or we're going through turmoil or change or excitement, there's all these different ebbs and flows and ups and downs, right? And that's normal. And so Paul doesn't just say, hey, I really love your love. He recognizes the reality of love is that when we love like Jesus loves us, we're going to get hurt. When we love the way that Jesus loves us, we will be disappointed. When we love like Jesus loves us, it's going to be hard because it's sacrificial. If there's anything that we can look to about the way of Christ is sacrifice. Just for a moment, how many of you feel like in your life you've loved somebody well? And that person that you've loved really, really well has probably hurt you at least once. And it's kind of like, oh, yeah. It's like when I was reading Corinthians. I was like, oh, when you look at it from the perspective of admonition, where it's like, this is what love looks like, you're like, oh, gosh, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. Right? It's just a punch after a punch after a punch. So Paul in his wisdom, he says something. He says in verse 9, for this reason, since the day... So first, remember, he's praying for thankfulness. Thank you, God, for what you're doing in them. And then verse 9, for this reason, since the day we heard it, we have not ceased praying for you. Since the day that they heard about the Colossians' love, immediately Paul is brought to a place of prayer for them. Because... Well, one thing we know about Paul is he's in jail right now, and he's in jail because he loves Jesus, and he loves the church. He loves people so much that he's willing to be imprisoned for that love. And so if there's anybody that understands the level of sacrifice that, that love requires, it's Paul. And so Paul is pointing out, like, I, I, I get it. And, and as a pastor, sometimes when I say stuff, and I'm like, oh my gosh, that's really challenging and that could be really discouraging. Like, I could easily read the verses in Corinthians and be like, that's discouraging because I hardly feel like that. But I want you to know that as a pastor, I pray for you. 
And I take heart when I see Paul's word when he says, I'm praying for you. And he doesn't just pray. He doesn't just say, well, God, you know, la, 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 your will be done. He specifically prays these prayers that are just full of depth. What does he say? What does he pray for them? Um, so Solomon, uh, I, will, I will say this. This is, you could put the, the quote up because it goes here. Um, Although Paul praises God for the work the gospel has already accomplished in their hearts, there is still so much to be done. So Paul recognizes not just that this is going to be hard, and this is something that Solomon wrote out again, and I love it because uh, a lot of the authors here come from an agricultural culture. So they probably get this way more than I do, right? Um, And so he's pointing out that love doesn't just stay in place. So Paul is saying, like, yes, love. And it's hard. But he's like, it's not stationary. It's meant to flourish and grow because it's one of the three things that never ends. So he's saying it's not just that the gospel has done a work. is that there's work to be done. And it's actually this love that he's going to combat false teaching with. He's saying, look, this is the fullness. And we'll get to that next week in the song that he writes. But he's pointing out, he's saying, if we're going to keep going forward in this love, if it's not going to stay stationary and stuck, that it's going to fill the space that you all are meant to occupy, that Christ is already present in, we have not ceased praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Sometimes when we're loving people, and especially when we get hurt, we're like, am I hearing you right? Or when they reject your love, you ever had that one? You're like, oh yeah, well, I'm going to be super sacrificial and it's not for me. And then they're like, no, thank you. And you're like, did I even hear you right, God? Was that right? To know God's will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So what? So that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord. Now that's not religion-based, but it's like living image, living reflection. I've said in the past, my desire for my life and my desire for all of us is that we would live so transparently that people wouldn't see Sean, they would see Christ in me. That my life would be so transparent, that I would be so vulnerable, that at the same time that people would be like, oh wow, that makes me really uncomfortable because you cry a lot. But at the same time, they would see Jesus. (laughs) And I desire that for all of us, whatever that looks like in that your unique way is that people would see right through these walls that we put up and the masks and all that, and they would just see Jesus because he's the one that provokes the love and the hope and the faith. So we would be living lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. And I picture the face of a father just delighting and watching a child play fully pleasing. As you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. So even Paul is recognizing in your love, you don't, you like, we never arrive. There's always more to grow in and there's more knowledge to have. It's a pursuit just as we're being pursued. That's the beautiful thing about God is he pursues us and he teaches us that love is a pursuit. That you may be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power, and you may be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father, 
who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. I mean, the journey for this is not easy. It certainly isn't. And we will need patience, and we will need power, and we will need endurance, and we will need joy. And these are all the things that Paul prays for, and and I need to be intentional to pray for, and you need to be intentional to pray for, because we're the priesthood of all believers, right? Like, this is, we're in this together. Um, There's two clicks that, go ahead and put up, Tom. Uh, so, So here's, he's made all of these statements, and it's really like a journey. Brian and I were talking about hiking today, and I always have that traumatic flashback when we went hiking, and I felt like I was dying, <laughs> right? It's a journey. Like, this is, this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. It's a journey. It's up and down. It's left and right. It's winding. It's low, and it's high. And Paul understands that because he's experienced that in the fullness of, of anybody that could experience it. And then he makes this statement in the midst of it, just like when we're low, right? Like in that moment when we're like, oh my gosh, yes, I need that prayer because I feel so weak. He says this. He says, he has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. I mean, can, can you let that dwell in your souls for a little bit? rescued us from the power of darkness. Whatever dark, I mean, certainly spiritual, the, 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 the hell of eternity, but also the hell of the daily, the power of darkness. He rescued us from that. And he doesn't just leave us there. It's not like, okay, plop, here you go. What does he do? He transfers us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption. We're reconciled. Forgiveness of sins. We don't have somebody that's holding things over us. Like, the only reason you're here is because you did X, Y, and Z well this week. He's like, no. I pulled you from these dark places in your life and transferred you into life. That should provoke love in us every time. Because this is a picture of perfect love. Transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we are redeemed and forgiven. I put this up because I can't shake this from my head. Um, One more slide for me, Tom. The crux of everything we are and do is because of who Jesus is and what he has done. We can make life the opposite of this. But everything that we are and do must and should be provoked by the love of Christ. Now, I'm not saying that. I'm not saying that so that way you can feel guilty and you're like, well, I failed today and it's only like, what, 10 o'clock? No, this is, this is what, that's, maybe today you feel like that fuel that's fallow, right? But it has potential because it's fertile. Or maybe you feel like, the field that's ready for harvest. And so we harvest. But I just want us to acknowledge, because this is what Paul's pointing out to the Colossians, just like he pointed out to the Corinthians, you can do all the things, but if you don't have love, then what's the point? 
that's another way of saying that everything that we are and we do is Jesus. What he is today, yesterday, tomorrow, and what he has done. And so when we look to something like this sacrament, which is the communion table, right? That's this reminder that every single thing that we are and that we do, it's because of what Jesus has already done. And we've been transferred from darkness into the kingdom of life. And we can't lose sight of that. So when we break bread and we drink wine, we share in his broken body and his shed blood, that's a statement that we're making. Everything is about you, Jesus. And it's, it's meant to be compelling, not driving us towards guilt and failure. But today is a new day, and he has transferred us from this place of darkness into life. So let me pray to just sort of prepare our hearts uh, for the communion table, and then we will partake in that. Um, God, I thank you uh, that you have rescued us from darkness, and you have transferred us into the kingdom of your Son, and it is a kingdom full of life because you died so that we could live, so that we could be in perfect fellowship with you. And, and a lot of times, especially there's more that we don't know than that we know, um, and that's why it's an encouragement that you still, just like Paul saw the love of the Colossians, that you see our love and our brokenness and our fallibility and the ways that we fail. Is that that's not what you hold over your head. Instead, you hold a banner of love over our head. And you say, these are my beloved sons and daughters with whom I'm well pleased. So God, with that truth, I pray that it would provoke us to look to your sacrifice and say, that is the picture of love that I want to hold on to. And whether I'm in a season of pruning or a season of growth or a season of fallowness or fruitfulness, that I would embrace the love that you offer and that I would give it to the best capacity that I could the people in my life, my neighbors, my friends, my loved ones, for the people that have even hurt us. So when we look to this table, help us to, to be mindful of that, of your body and your blood that was shed for us so that we could live and that we could love and that we could have faith and hope in the midst of all the turmoil of life. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.